again, we thank you, God, for your word that we can come together corporately, Lord God, that we can worship you freely. Lord, thank you for the freedom that we have. That, Lord, we can voluntarily come and lift up the name of Jesus. Lord, again, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, Holy Spirit, that you would awaken our hearts. You would make the word of God come alive to us, Lord, that uh, again, it would be more than us just hearing with our ears, that it would, it would affect our lives, and transformative powers in our lives and our souls. Uh, Jesus, we want to be more like you. We want to grow more and more like you to know you. So, God, thank you, God, for your people. We ask you to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we've been in this series called God Is. Um, we are looking at just some of the attributes of God. We are not doing an exhaustive, extensive study on all of the attributes of God. We did that. Um, we could probably go until Jesus came back and uh, never get to uh, all of them. Um, God is so vast. He is so amazing. He is beyond comprehension. He is awesome in all his ways. He's the one that spoke and the world came into existence. Yet he is also very personal. He is very loving and kind to us individually. And so, through this series, my heart, my prayer for all of us is that it would stir up a new love for God like never before. It would stir up devotion and affection to Him. Um, again, when I uncovered all the attributes, um, just a reminder, and I said this at the beginning of kind of each one of you are new with us, we, um, as we look at some of these attributes of God, God does not step away from one attribute to be another. He, he encompasses them all in who He is. In other words, He is, we can talk about being a righteous judge, and He is merciful both at the same time. He doesn't step away from His mercy to be a righteous judge. He is all in all. All of these attributes are who He is. And so we, as we, as we go before Him, it's easy to compartmentalize God, kind of bring into it, uh, try to bring into a human way of understanding, and that is what we should not do as we approach Him. He is vast, and again, we look at Paul's passage last week, Romans 11, that His ways are unsearchable. Isaiah says His ways are higher than our ways, but uh, He does want to reveal more and more of Himself. So today and actually next week, we're going to spend two weeks on. God is a righteous judge. God is a righteous judge. The mere mention of that, or you read it, can sometimes make that twin, or it conjures up a lot of emotion, maybe uncertainty, maybe fear, maybe negativity. Um, we, 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 we sometimes kind of maybe think about groups that are angry, and they kind of maybe speak angry messages. Um, and some of you might be asking, is this going to be a hellfire brimstone message? It won't be. But there is a reality to God being a righteous judge. Um, this message, these two messages, are not intended, again, for us to just throw up negative emotions, but to see God in the right way. To see God in a right way and to maybe correct some things that maybe we have missed. The question is, is what do you think of God when you hear God when you? Um, you know, if you've been walking with him for some time, or maybe you're searching, maybe you're, you, 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 
recently giving our life to Christ and what we think of God and what we kind of imagine God or what it stirs in us and how we begin to develop you know, our, our own definition of who God is and, and let Him go beyond maybe what we have thought or maybe negative experiences that we have had and let's look at Him in a new way. And so I, I, I want it to be where we see God in a new life and we love Him. It's not until just stir up wrong emotions which I honor Him more and more for who He is. Because he is a righteous judge. He is a righteous judge. And what does that mean? Alright, let's look at a few scriptures. Again, this is not a classic. If you go into scripture about God being a righteous judge, you're going to find a lot, lot more. I just told a few. Psalms, that's not, yeah, Psalms 75 7. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Psalm 50, verse 6. And the heavens declare his righteousness, but God himself is judge. Isaiah 33, 22, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Let's go to the next slide. Isaiah 66, 16, For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on all flesh. Second Timothy, jumping through the New Testament here. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, Paul writes to Timothy, which the Lord, the righteous judge, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearance. And then Psalm 199 is uh, maybe one you are familiar with. We as a church memorize this. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enjoy, brother, the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. And so when you when you look at this idea, this attribute that God is a righteous judge, again, sometimes you can we, we just think in very legal, very harsh terms. But as we unfold this, you will see what God did. Yes, He is righteous and uh, He is just. In fact, you know, when sin came into the world, He had to separate Himself away from sinfulness because he, God and sin cannot coexist. And so when Adam and Eve and him in free will, they're in the garden, God gave them a stewardship management. He's the owner. Harry said that this morning, he's the owner. They sinned because God did not force them to serve him, but they, they, they chose sinfulness and it brought a fracture, a brokenness. And then we see before Christ came that in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they were governed by laws. And if you are, are, are really really having a hard time sleeping and read the book of Leviticus. It's good stuff. I'm not saying the Word of God is boring, but there's a lot of laws there. And why were they governed by laws? Why? There was a heartbeat behind God being a judge that he, for a time, separated himself because he could not go to But then the promise of Jesus came, remember? Jesus came so that we would have restored relationship with God. But even in the Old Testament where the laws were given, and you have David who, you know, in several of these Psalms, David is declaring that God is a righteous God. In fact, David says this, he says, I, I delight in the laws of the Lord. I, I, I lay on my bed and I meditate on the laws of the Lord. Why would he say that? Because, again, a lot of times we can look at the laws of the Lord and we get this kind of harsh legal mindset and we, it's like, that's not something I delight in. But here, here's the heartbeat because David had a glimpse. David's the one, remember, he had this revelation that the Lord is my shepherd. 
he understood that there was something very personal, very loving about God. Even the God of the Old Testament, who doesn't change, is the same God then as he is now. But why could David say that I meditate, I delight in the law of the Lord, I delight in his judgment? It's because what he's saying is that you have best for me. You want the best for me. And when you set up laws and parameters for us to follow, that's out, actually out of your great love. And that's why I love your laws. That's why I meditate on them. And that's why I delight in them. It's because you want best for me. It's because if God just said, I don't have any parameters, you make your own rules, you make your own, you, you guys call the God to be the God of your own life, and, and that's kind of how I want you to do it. It would be chaos, and we already see what happens when people dismiss God. It sent to Israel and ultimately us into chaos. And we see it in the natural when we set up boundaries for our children. You know, the, 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 the old adage, of, you know, if you have a little kid, like, running towards the road, and they don't understand the danger of it as a parent, you're going to grab them, pull them, and it might seem harsh even at times, but you see the big picture, and actually it's out of love, and the kid might be devastated, they might even cry that you are somehow ruining all their fun. The road looks like such a fun place to play. You as a parent say, you know, you can be mad at me, and you might, you might even get them fired, you know, you know, that's okay, but ultimately one day you're going to see this, this is an act of love. And again, that's a kind of a smaller picture of the vastness of God that He leads us to great love, and He puts the laws and parameters around us because of love. And David's taught that, that's why He's in the light. And again, so this has been on this, an exhaustive list, but it's just to remind us that God is the one and only righteous judge over all. Just like when we talked about the sovereignty, that He is sovereign over all, He is the judge over all. He is in supreme control over everything, and He's the righteous judge over everyone and everything. Here's the biblical descriptions of His judgment. It's called perfect. Don't, again, when we're, when we're talking about the attributes of God, don't try to define them in human reasoning and understanding. He's a perfect judge. It says in some places, he's a right judge. He's a true judge. He's pure. He's fair. He doesn't have the ability to wrongly or unfairly judge. Isn't that great? I mean, that to me stirs up a, a greater affection to say you can't unfairly judge. It's impossible for you to unfairly judge. In Psalm 51, remember that story um, of David when he blew it. I mean, he had a major, major failure. He had an affair, had her husband killed. And this is the guy that killed the giant. And we're like, I don't know about you, I'll read through the one year Bible. And, Somehow I'm wishing that story would be different when the next time I come around. It's heartbreaking. And the guy that he had killed actually was somebody that was very close to him. The prophet Nathan Nathaniel, you know, confronts him and he, Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance. And he says, you know, created me a clean heart of God. Don't talk to me where there's something very personal in his response. This, this humble, repentant response. 
wants it in there. It's just your judgment against me is You hear that? This is the guy that loved and delighted and delighted and loved the law of the Lord. He said, your judgment of me. In other words, I understand. I blew it. I'm a sinner. Your judgment of me is just. And so he just laid himself there. He didn't make excuses. He didn't say, well, you know, I was struggling here. And really, you know what would happen when we justify or we excuse sin? We're basically kind of blaming it on God. That's what happened in the garden, right? What did Adam do? Or right, Adam standing there with Eve, the serpent comes to them, you know, the, the enemy comes to them and tempts them, and, and then, you know, we, we have sinfulness, and God confronts them. And what did Adam say? He doesn't say, his, you know, the, the right heart response is, God, forgive me. He said, God, he was just one you gave me. So through indicting the woman, what did he do? He's indicting God. I.e., if you wouldn't have given me this woman, God to say, yeah, you weren't complaining when she showed up. Be happy about it then. But now, when it's just the justification, there's this kind of like a sidestep. And we have right there, that's why God calls people to humility, repentance. It's beautiful. Because you're right. Don't justify, don't make excuses for And David doesn't get your judgment of himself. So having this revelation, the, the enemy of our souls, what he wants us to do is go into unhealthy and unholy extremes about God's righteous justice. Right? And so he always wants us to swing to those extremes. The first one is that legalism. Let's go to the next one. Yeah, you can go with me out to all of this. Sometimes I look and we're not there, but there. Legalism. Unholy fear or work. This is the first part. That first part is kind of how maybe some of you guys can describe That's how I was raised. It was heavy legalism. Um, there was not a lot of delighting in God. It was just a lot of I'm afraid to go to hell. You understand what I'm saying? That was the basis of my relationship with God. Is please whatever it takes. I don't want to go there. There's not a lot of love, there's not a lot of grace and mercy, there's a lot of legalism that just makes you afraid to go to the bad place. As we call it, get it only to the bad place. And then, and then you have this legalism. The only problem is that that doesn't last for long. You can begin to, like me, I just begin to get cynical of it. Or unholy fear. There is a right fear of the Lord. When you hear the Bible talk about being walking in the fear of the Lord and honor and a reverence to Him, there's an unholy fear. And that's that constantly thinking, you know, that, that, that um, oh no, I think I might be going to Oh no, I'm going to be. You know, and it's just this unholy fear or torment in your heart day to day. I have people say stuff like, you know, you better be careful. You know, it's like what would happen is like you you were hammering and you you know you were hammering or something. You hit your thumb with a hammer and you cursed and all of a sudden you died. You might go back. I'm like, wow, really? That scares me. The only problem is this unholy fear that God's grace is bigger than that. And I'm not saying that you should be justified by saying you hit your thumb. I'm not telling anybody to do that. He said it was okay. You know. Or it can make you works driven. That you're constantly trying to do good works to make God love you more. 
It's a constant trying to, you know, that, 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 that describes all of the religions in the world as a kind of scale. Like if you get to the end of your life, you're hoping that the good works outweigh the bad. And a lot of times we can get into our walk with Christ like that. We are created for good works, yes. Ephesians 2 says that we are created for good works, but right before that it says we're saved by faith if we get to God. And so a lot of times what we do is we, we, we entangle that or the enemy like that, that God's mad at you, that you have to do more good works to get them to love you more. That's the extreme that we, well, I just told you, I'm going to stand before the judge and I want my good to outweigh my bad. There's not enough good works in and of themselves to get you to heaven. If there were enough good works to be in the heaven, we would remove the cross and the top of the Jesus. It is finished, paid in full. That's the gift of God. We do works out of the place where, now I love Him, I'm saved by Him, and I want to walk with Him, and He created me to do good works. As opposed to, I'm doing good works to get Him to love me. So that's that one extreme legalism, unholy fear that some of you guys understand. The other extreme is this, permissive self-government, like universal, universalism. Um, that's the idea that I, I kind of call my own shots that I, I can maybe profess Christianity, but I, I make the rule. God didn't really mean that. He didn't really say that. I kind of put God in a, a box of my own making. And, well, well God, you know, hell's not a literal place. And, you know, God's really not a judge. And we begin to have this idea, well, universalism, that uh, all roads lead to heaven. You just get on the road that fits for you and whatever works for you. The only problem is that's not biblical. And God did not tell us. So that's the other extreme that this permissiveness that God has kind of, he understands how he may be on this one. So he excuses my simple behavior. Both are wrong. That place of permissive I, I, I made my own parameter. Both of these extremes are wrong. And so what do we do with the information that we've been given of God as a judge? How do we respond? How does God reveal himself as judge, knowing that God is judge? And when we know that, we're going to push us toward a healthy, Holy fear of the Lord. And in Psalm, Psalm 19, the fear of the Lord is not unholy torment, but it is clean, right? It's, in other words, it's pure, it's right, it's a cleansing thing that endures forever. When I have a holy fear of the Lord, I feel a, a cleansing in my heart. I'm not walking around in torment all the time. I'm just kind of saying, I can walk in the holy fear of the Lord and honor Him and be in right relationship with Him. Healthy fear of the Lord leads me to honor. Torment leads me to actually not, if it, it, it has an ending, we just end my life's life. But the fear of the Lord, him as a righteous judge, again reminds me that he's in control of the Lord. He's calling the shot, he's set the rules, he sets the parameters, and I don't. Here's what Romans 11 says. As we look at God being a righteous judge, know then. In other words, pay attention, Paul said, pay attention to the kindness and the severity of God. Both. He 
very kind and gracious and merciful. He loved us so deeply. There is the idea that we, we, we don't just say, well, he's kind, good, merciful, and gracious, and that means he's not going to be a judge. No, he is a judge. And so we behold, we look at, we take note of his kindness and his severity. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. What is his kindness? It's what David, why David said, I delight in the law of the Lord. What is his kindness? His kindness is that he has your best interest in his heart. He created you for a plan and a purpose. And when he steps around you, he sets the law around the things of our life. It's saying, it is for my good. Just like a, the child that runs toward danger, it is to grab them and keep them away and keep those loving, holy parameters and boundaries in it for their good. The same way with God. And as we continue in His kindness and understand that He is for me, not against me. That's what the Bible says. And when we continue to walk with Him, now He's not for me in just a general sense of term where I can do whatever I want. Well, God's for me so I can do whatever I want. No, that's not what it means. But He does love us. In Romans 2, says this kindness leads us to repentance. Isn't that cool? That's what leads me to repentance. Repent means to turn away from my sin and turn toward Him. When I understand His kindness, He really does want best for me. This is a, a Father who wants best for me. And even when He disciplines me, like Hebrews 12 says, it's because He's my dad and He loves me and I'm not illegitimate. That's what Romans 12 says. He is in, in, puts in place discipline because He's a, he's a loving Father. And then his kindness turns me into, well, I, I want my life to you. It's a kindness that turns me into repentance. Knowing that he's for my good. But he's the one that says what sin is and sin is and it's found in his word. We don't get to redefine that. And so there's the reality that he is a righteous judge. He is merciful and kind. And we will all be judged and we will give an account to the Lord. Every one of us. Everyone who's ever lived, will ever live, and who is alive right now. This is the reality. And this is not intended to give us unholy terror, but it should give us a healthy fear of the Lord that the reality is that we were created as eternal beings. We are eternal. This flesh and blood that Paul says is groaning and gets old and, and one day will pass away, that's not the real us. Paul said it's like a tent. The real life is still if you God created us on the inside and we will give an account before the Lord. When we die, we will stand before Him alone. You and me alone with Him. That's a reality. We're told that in Scripture. Let's look at some Scriptures that tell us this. Acts 17. 32-31, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. In the time of the Old Testament, where they didn't have the full revelation of the Lord, when Christ came, things were made clear spiritually. So people didn't. But now, He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to Him. There's the call. It's always been the call. He just calls us to repent and turn our sins. Paul God commands everyone everywhere to repent of your sins. That means you're not in charge. I'm not calling the charge. I'm turning away from my sin. I'm turning to him. But he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who is the man he appointed? Jesus. Everything flows to Jesus. And he proved to everyone who is 
existence by raising him from the dead. In other words, the resurrection reveals the reality, proves that he's right, and it proves because if there's no resurrection, Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we need to all find something else to do. Get a hobby or something to stop eating. That he rose from the dead proves that who he is is right and true. So it is the time of judgment. Let's go to the next. Hebrews 9, 27 to 28. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Some translations said that it's appointed once for a person to die. After that, you will face judgment. When you leave your body, when you're still, you will go and you will be judged. There is a, there is a, there is a judgment that's going to take place. So Christ, here's the good news, the Christ is sacrificed once and all to take the sins of many. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Right? That's the good news. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Do you really believe that? Are you convinced of it? Because that's the reality. We will give an account of ourselves before God. I'm not going to um, unpack all these again. We could take the judgment of God. We could do a whole series on God as the righteous judge. But in Scripture, there are two judgments that are going to happen. There is the believer's judgment. That means people who belong to Christ, they've given their life to Christ, they've repented of their sins, they've made Jesus the Lord and Savior of their lives, they're living for Him. And it's, it's, called a, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's a believer's judgment. I'm not going to do a full study on these. I'm just going to try to let you know that everyone stands before the Lord as a confirmation that we'll all will give an account. So you have the believer's judgment, and then you have the great white throne of judgment, and that is for unbelievers. Let's look at the scriptures real quick. Second Corinthians, the first one. For we, and Paul is writing to the church, writing, writing to the church in Corinth, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Rewards for having lived for Christ. So there's a believer's reward for having lived for Christ. And so I have, um, in, in Revelation, it's going to wipe away every spirit from our eyes. It's a different passage from 2 Corinthians. Uh, so there will be some regret, but we will be in heaven with him. In other words, with the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be given rewards for how we live for Jesus. And I love in Revelation, it says to believe we will wipe every tear from our eyes. I think that we will, obviously, we'll have some regrets, right? We're going to have maybe opportunities that we that we didn't take advantage of. Or maybe He called us to something and we missed those opportunities. But that doesn't mean that we won't be here. His grace and mercy will be over that. He will wipe the tears from our eyes, the tears of regret. He will embrace us. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to your inheritance that I've created. So this idea of the judgment seat of Christ is the people that belong to Christ. I think there's the Bema seat of Christ. This is where Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he went and offered him. He said he went and offered him the blood sacrifice in heaven at this place. And that's where people say, I trust the Christ. I could not hope my faith in him. He said, I don't have to stand in the other judgment. But there will be a judgment. We will give an account for even how we live for Jesus on the earth. That's why I want to make the most of every opportunity. I don't want to miss that. And this one is uh, the great white throne judgment. Um, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. This is unbelievable. John, John has had a vision. He's seen this. He's taken a tall, great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence. This is the awesomeness of who God is because 
but they found a place to hide us while the dead were great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. The book of life is the names of all believers. The books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. According to their deeds. And again, the greatest deed that we can do is pretend to turn our lives to Jesus Christ. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the, the lake of fire is the second death of the final judgment. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now I know that's heavy. And we can hear that and go, whoa, but there is a reality to it. It's heavy, but God wants us to understand that there is a reality that that should give us not a tormented fear of God, but a holy fear of God. And so, throughout Scripture, and you can read Matthew 25, Revelation 20, Matthew 10, Matthew 13, and so on, 1 Thessalonians 1, Luke 16, they deal with God's judgment of unbelievers. And here's what they say about this. It's really important for us. And again, I'm not, I'm not unpacking all those scriptures. I'm not going to read all those scriptures. But what they say, and the consensus is that hell was not created for people. If you read those. Who was hell, what was hell created for? Who was it created for? It's just Satan and his angels. That the enemy of God who turned against God and he took a third of the angels and it is in and God created created hell and it was the place of, of end judgment for Satan and his angels. So it was not created for people. However, if we reject Christ and we reject his gift of salvation, then our destiny will be to spend eternity away from God. God has made a way He's made a way to the gospel. He's made a way through Jesus. And so I can stand up here and confidently say God doesn't send anyone to hell, but He allows people to reject. If they want to rejecting the gift of salvation, then they end up to the place that they reject, and He gives them what they choose. And so in His sovereignty, He does give us free will. Again, how does predestination and free will that they, they can coexist? Because John three sixteen that you know for God so loved uh, not just a few, God loved the world. But in His sovereignty, He does give free will, and so there's a reality to a place of judgment that God says I will send them there if they reject my gift. He made a way, but he won't force us. He paid the price. He opened the prison door, but he won't make us walk out. And the idea of what Jesus did, that Jesus took our sins and our scholars are all upon himself, that the wrath of God was poured out on Christ for us. This is why so many people, you know, if we, if we miss this Christianity, and whatever Christianity is, if, if it was not intended to be legalistic and harsh, it was, and the enemy will try to get us a reason to say, well, that, that's this or that's the this. We have to understand God 
defines who God is. God defines what salvation is. And if you have had a misunderstanding of using God in wrong ways, it's time to correct that thinking because He made a way for Jesus. He cast the, His wrath of sin upon His Son on the cross. Paid the death penalty for me and you that we would not have to endure that. So in other words, he said, when we're standing before the righteous judge and we are guilty, he said, I want to take their place. I want to get on the cross and pay the death penalty for them. And then he opens up. We're, we're sitting on death row. And he opens up the, the cell. And he said, it's been paid for. You don't have to do it. You can walk freely if you just receive it. Give your life over to me. And as many that will just say, no. I'm going to figure out a way. I'm going to try to maybe figure out good works. I'm going to try to figure out another way. And it's over. He can't make you walk out. But he paid the price. And so how will God judge? Let's go to the next slide. How will God judge? We'll keep flipping there because I've got a couple of scriptures there. We're going to close with this. What is God's standard for judgment? Keep going. Standard of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Is what? What will you do? What are you doing with Jesus and His time? The standard is Christ. That's why God sent Him to the earth, that He would become one of us. So the standard is Jesus. Is what are you? What do you do with Jesus? Do you reject Him? Is he just a buddy that you have on Sunday? Is he just a friend that shows up at Easter and Christmas? Or is he the Lord and Savior of your life? What do you do with Christ? Because that is the way of salvation. There's no other way. There's no other. There's not many roads, folks. I don't know. Whatever culture tells you, whatever universalism wants to tell you, whatever, and however nice that sounds, it's not true. And I know what people say, well, it doesn't sound real nice to have that. It sounds so exclusive. I didn't make the rules. I didn't. Jesus did. Jesus made the way. If there were many ways, Christ would have just come and said, pick a way, any way, good luck. I'll be up here. He didn't. He came to become one of us. He bore our sin and our sorrow. He endured the wrath of God, the punishment, the judgment of God was upon him. Right? So that we wouldn't have to face it. And he said, I am the way that people want. There's no other way to get to heaven except through me. And he can't just be your pal or your, your genie that when you need something or when you're in a bad circumstance, if I'm going to daily give my life to him, surrender my life to him, surrender all that I am to him, that I am his. He is mine every day. So what do we do? What do we do with you? What do we do with this sacrifice? Because because of sin, we are broken. We're all broken. That's why whatever your whatever your uh, experience with the church, let me just tell you, the church people in here, we don't have it all figured out. We're all we're the fellowship of the broken. You say that a lot. And if you come in here and you feel like, well, you know, I don't know if I fit. You fit. Believe it. Talk to somebody for five minutes. You fit. We all have a story. I wasn't born a pastor. I'll tell you some things that might make you blush. Thank God I've been forgiven, redeemed by Jesus. So long, but we're all broken. We're all broken. And here's what the Bible says for everyone else. Not just some, 
Everyone except pastors, right? Everyone except the Pope. Sorry, Pope. Everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glory standard. We're God's glory standard, Jesus. We're all good. We all fall short of that. We all fall short of that. We are sin. We're broken and we fall short. That's, that's reality. And here's the second part of the reality. You know these scriptures. For the payment of sin is what? That's what you deserve. If you don't think that you deserve death, then you, you don't understand the righteous judge and that we are all sinners. So I'm broken, I'm a sinner, I fall short of God's standard, and the payment of that is death. I deserve death. I deserve the death penalty. That's why Paul wrote this. Is because I, I want you to understand the gospel message. If you just think that, no, I'm basically pretty good, you're not going to understand it. That's why the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked who can know it. We are open to delusion and open to deception and, 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 and you know, we, we, we have dark recesses of our heart that we constantly have to give to the Lord. Paul says in Romans 7, I'm constantly in a war, right? Doesn't mean that we always have to live in defeat. That, I, I'm not saying that. But he says that there's the flesh part of me and the spirit part of me that are they're waging war against each other. And, you know, you'll have a couple of good days in the spirit, right? Your spirit man's like good. And then you'll have that day and go, what did I just do? And it's a battle. And Paul said that. He said, I have this war waging in me. So sometimes I do what I don't want to do. You ever deal with that? You ever do what you don't want to do? He said, You weren't going to do that and you do it? Or he said, I know I need to do that and I don't. That's what Paul said. Doesn't that sound real? I love his authenticity. And he said, Who can save me from this life? Thanks be to God, it's through Jesus. Right at the end of Romans 7, then he goes right into Romans 8, and he says, There's no condemnation to go on to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? He said, I wrestle, I struggle, I fight, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. Uh, you know, I, I blow it sometimes, but I'm going to get back up and I'm fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to keep fixing my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to keep fixing my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to keep walking after him. I'm going to keep going after him. I love him. And because of that, I don't have to walk in condemnation and shame with the enemy wants to have to walk in him. Staying humble and it's saying, I recognize Lord, I, I fall short and I need you. That's not the end of the story, though, right there. Let's go to the next one. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That is awesome. We all sin, we're all broken, we all deserve death. But thanks to God, that's not the end of the story. Jesus gives us life. The gift of God is eternal life. God did something about the sin. He sent Jesus as a sacrifice to rescue us, the greatest rescue mission. He rescued us from God's judgment to give us eternal life, to give us a hope for eternity, not just in the state of sin, but to even say, I have a place of eternity for you, that you will be with me forever. But he will judge according to our response to Jesus. What he did and what we do with what he did. Does that make sense? So what he did and then what we do with what he did. So you can't just, again, jump into even, even there's this universalism that kind of surrounds Christianity. Well, Jesus died for my sins, therefore everyone goes to heaven. It's not true. Jesus did die for the sins of the world. But it's those who recognize the need of Him, repent of their sins, give their life to Him. That's who He saves. 
Jesus sacrificed his resurrection to become the plumb line, the judgment line of God's righteous judgment. At the cross, that's where you see justice and mercy. You see God's justice on Jesus. You see God's mercy for us. He will judge according to our response. So what was God's response? What should our response be? We're going to look at that next week. Aren't you glad for the good news of Jesus? I hope that that was good. I hope, again, don't let the judgment of God be a tormenting fear, but let it develop a holy fear of the Lord in you. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you that you are a righteous judge, that you judge fairly, rightly. You judge fairly. You have the inability to not judge fairly. You will judge all men and women fairly. But, Lord, the reality is, and I pray that all of us will understand that we will stand before you. When we leave this life, we will stand before you. We will give an account. We will give an account to you as either Savior or Judge. We will judge us as Savior if we want to. We will judge us as the righteous judge if we don't. But it will all be fair. And I pray, God, today that we would be right with you. We would be in right relationship with you. We would realize our need for you. God, that we as a people would love you, and then, Lord, as we spread the good news of Jesus, we would make it very hard for our communities and our regions to, to, to stand before you as, as the judge who judges the unbelievable. Because, Lord, we want to proclaim the gospel and the good news of Jesus to everyone. Lord, let that be our motivation. Let that be our heart. Pray a blessing over your people today. In Jesus' name. God bless you.